we go again on the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Today we have Laura Bergman. Laura is the owner of Fascia Lines in Winchester, Virginia. Hello, Kevin. Laura and I have been friends for like nine or ten years, and I'm really pumped you came on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Cool. So let's go. Let's jump right into the background story. Um, let's go from athleticism at youth, maybe, and then push forward. I'll let you take the lead from here. So I was one of those kids that never did anything but read books because I grew up in the ghetto of New Jersey. So um, there was no opportunity for athletics and the only running ever done was for your life. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of, uh, I didn't really have any opportunities um, to be athletic at all. And I had asthma and so I was your typical nerdy, you know, straight A student. Um then I uh, got involved with ballet, and I got a scholarship. Um, what and age? And maybe thirteen, which is old, right? And most people start dancing when they're little. Um, and I auditioned for this performing arts high school, not knowing anything. Whatever I did, um, must have worked because I got accepted, and so then I. Uh, Went to performing arts high school and did dance and theater. I, I was already a musician. I did piano and saxophone and clarinet and all, cello, all that stuff. Um, and then I ended up getting a scholarship to American Repertory Ballet School. Um, and so that kind of started my uh, movement um, journey because I was so far behind everybody. Um, I had to really learn how to get my body to catch up right? I couldn't touch my toes and the girls next to me were kicking over their head. And so, you know, it's definitely underdog uh, situation. I had a whole childhood to catch up on. And so that started my um, journey with movement. And then of course, with being a ballet dancer, you know, there's certain aesthetics involved. So I had to learn about food because when you grow up on the food pantry, you have Kraft macaroni and cheese and Chef Boyardee and Kool-Aid. And so I had to learn like, okay, well, how do I eat so I can, you know, do this? Um, and so that's kind of where that started. And my, my, I went to college on a dance scholarship. So I got my exercise science degree on a dance scholarship. Um, I had, then I hurt my back and was told, uh, you'll never dance again, maybe not walk very well. And I was like, well, I'm on a scholarship, so that's not going to work. Um, and so I had to kind of learn how do I manage this, right? So what had, what had happened was um, now it was a bulging disc and my pelvis had shifted and rotated and was stuck there. And they were just like, sorry about your luck. And so I had to figure out, okay, well, I'm paying for school myself. And so I cannot not move. Plus, you know, dancing was my life. Right. So like that was the thing. And so I have, I've been studying how the body works in motion, um, you know, since I was a kid and uh, to, to survive. Right. And so then after my dancing career, um, cause that's a very short career, I danced in Spain and Russia and New York and wow. all of that. Then it was, how do I stay in shape? Because I thought, you know, one day I want to be able to dance um, and I want to be able to keep that ability. So how do you stay in shape? You exercise. Well, 
no one in my family ever exercised. And so what does that mean? You go to a gym. Okay, well, I was always hurting myself. My knees would hurt or my shoulder would hurt or, you know, and I'm like, well, at the time I was like 20 something. So like why, you know, there's a, you know, Apple Blossom 5K or 10K. I, every time I tried to run, I couldn't walk for two weeks after. And I was just told you have bad knees. You just can't run. Laura, you're not a runner. Then they said I had compartment syndrome. They were going to cut open my lower leg. And they're like, Laura, you just can't run. You're just not a runner. And so I studied really hard. Like, well, why? But no one could tell me why. Why do I have bad knees? Why can't I run? Why? You know, so, you know, I had to do research for myself because the medical community was just like, just don't run. Right. Right. And so. If it hurts, don't do it. Right. And at the time I worked at in a gym. So when it's 75 degrees outside, I don't want to stay on the treadmill looking at the walls I have to look at for 12 hours, right? I, you know, and at the time, running was free, <laughs> right? right? And so you can, you know, go outside and run and all you need is a pair of shoes. And that was like, you know, I wanted to be outside. Easy and, barrier, easy barrier of entry there. Yeah. And uh, every time it just something hurt. It hurt to run. It hurts to be active. And nobody could tell me why. They could. They just said, don't do it. Well, you know, the list of things that you can't do just starts growing and then all of a sudden you're not moving. And so that was not an option. And a lack, lack of movement builds up lack of strength and then lack of mobility and can't stretch. Yeah. Doing life just hurts. And so you start doing less and less. And so, you know, I took you know, all the classes and studied all the things, you know, to figure out like, how does the body work in motion and why does mine not work? Right. And so, you know, that has equipped me with the knowledge of how to help other people get their body working because I went through, you know, all the things, you know, so I was not born to run. I was not, you know, I don't have a background of, I, you know, did swimming as a kid or I did this, right? So I learned, you know, how to run at 27, right? I learned how to swim at 30, right? And it's like, okay, well, you know, you have to be smart about about it, right? When you're a kid, you're Gumby. You can like do whatever you want, right? But if you're not doing something with um, proper form, which means moving in a way in which your body was designed to move. Hold on, Bergman. Hold on. You're getting too fancy. You're getting too fancy <laughs> too soon. So let's let's kind of break down what it means to learn to run. So kind of describe what that experience was like. Maybe you tried to run a mile or you tried to run a 5K. What was your let, – let, let's inspire people that might be in the same predicament that you now that you were in then. So what were some of the first steps? Well, first I was afraid to go outside and embarrassed, right? Um, but mostly I was afraid to run outside because something would hurt and I couldn't get back. Sure. Also, I was not a runner. And, you know, when you have that in your head, those of you that are thinking that are like, yeah, that's me. I'm not a runner, right? So, you know, you feel like you look weird and like, you know, you don't do the right things. And again, I wasn't, I don't know if I could, I do a mile. It's hard right? to so know I, what shoes to wear. Right. And so it's like, and how do you afford those shoes, right? The shoe store tells you you need these $300 technology things, right? And you're like, but I just want to play outside. Right. So I started on the treadmill in Gold's Gym, running a little bit and then walking. I also have asthma. So I was never sure, like, can I not breathe because running's really hard and it's supposed to be hard. 
like this? Or was I about to have asthma attack and uh, maybe not make it? So, you know, that was, you know, that was a struggle. And I remember um, it took me a while. I'd run, walk, run, walk, run, walk, and then like go do my gym things. The first time I got to a mile, ran a whole mile without stopping in the middle of Gold's gym, I remember it because I let out this big like, woohoo, in front of the whole gym, right? And it was like the most exciting thing. I've never like got to run a mile. And it was still... I would say it was quite a long time still before I would go run outside, right? Because that's what runner people do. Right. I was not a runner person, and I was not confident that I could run and get back in one in one piece. So I started, you know, on the treadmill, um, and then is the asthma sports induced asthma or was it normal asthma? I don't even no, know. No, other things. Um, like uh, it's inflammatory, right? So like exhaust from a school bus or cigarette smoke or um like air freshener things you know yeah things so agitation basically yeah okay. and um when you breathe really hard your bronchioles which are the little things in your lungs like for asthma people like spasm right so imagine like your calf spasming but inside your lungs sure so that's what that's like. So, you know, imagine like, oh, everything hurts. Also, you can't breathe. Like, why would you like want to do this? But I, I was determined and, you know, I think I started just running, you know, to the stop sign and back at Gold's Gym, you know, and it was like I would could get to the stop sign was my first goal without without stopping. And then I'd walk back. Did right? you have any running partners back then? No. Just no. kind of just taking a, taking a whack at it, huh? Um, no, I mean, because I, you know, the, the people that were runners, like I wasn't, I never knew when I was going to have to stop. I never knew if I could get through a mile. Right. Right. Never knew. I mean, it was years and well, plenty of races and, even, you know, before I'm like, well, you know, even knew, could, was I going to get through this without hurting? Well, you, you said you were about 26, 27 when you mm -hmm. were trying to get into running. I feel like a rocket ship happened, though. You went from trying to get into running. I think I met you and you might have been 31, right? Or um, Are you really talking about my age right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just trying, I'm just I'm trying kidding, to put yeah. the timing together because before I met you, I saw a newspaper article about you and how you were doing massive events on a national level. And it's a very short span in my mind on how old I think you might be. But I don't know, people. I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, is that so within three years, I think, would that be true that you went from getting started to doing awesome, really awesome things? Yeah, I, I, just, I guess I just don't think of it as awesome. But I so because I was I couldn't run, I rode bikes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was a cyclist. Taught spinning class in the gym, so then I was a, a road bikes outside the gym and because I can I do totally that. I totally forgot you were a spin instructor. That's yeah, right. yeah, 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m., yeah. 5 a.m. I think I taught at one time. So, you know, I had that background because I could maybe run three minutes or something before something hurt, and so that doesn't build your fitness. So cycling, I could cycle 100 miles, right? Um, so when, you know, the first... I think it was a 5k I ever did that I won anything I didn't even know I was so used to being last that I was used to being all by myself and totally happy with it like oh my gosh I just did this super exciting I can 
eat some pizza now. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, that's like, oh, I get to eat like extra. I'm going to have a treat or, you know, that's like back then that's like was the thing. I just wanted to like make it through without hurting. And uh, I went home and, you know, went to work the next day and everyone's like, oh, my God, congratulations. And I was like, what? And I like, like had gotten third or something in like the, you know, I don't, I don't even, it's like uh, one of the hot air balloon festival 5Ks or something. Sure, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't even know. And, uh, but, you know, I had to go home and KT tape myself and, you know, tr treat my calf that was hurting and whatever. Um, and then meanwhile, I was trying to swim because I was like, look, clearly, eventually this is going to be the only exercise I can do. Swimming, because sure. Everything hurts when I try to exercise. So I'm like thinking in the future, like I need to learn how to swim because I think this might be the only thing that I'm able to do. And in Charlestown at the, that time, there's nobody to help me figure that out. So I, based on my pain pattern, my knowledge of biomechanics, so I'm like, okay, my serratus hurts, which is this thing under your arm. So that means I was crossing over. And so don't do that. Okay. And that's like the same with running. Oh, like my God. Ber Bergman. <laughs> <laughs> you just dropped serratus on us. And I but know I what it means. It. No, I yes, I, it. I know. But crossing over, nobody can see what you mean with your swim stroke. Let's just keep it simple. That's the, so I'm just trying to develop a timeline here. Okay. So that was a couple years of that. In the meantime, I was competing, but that wasn't without pain. Gotcha. And so in triathlon, the bike leg is the biggest leg, right? And so I would be the last one out of the water. Okay, yeah. I can relate to that. And then I would make that up on the bike. and You'd force the run. I would be with tears running. But yo, right? look, you went from – this is where the story is just so wacky. You went from pain running – to spin instructor, to learning to swim, to freaking triathlon. You're like, oh, I'm just going to go do a triathlon. Is that, that was your, where did that come from? Okay. So, um, I was, so being a personal trainer and being a woman, you, the, 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 it didn't matter how educated I was. I had all these degrees and certifications, whatever people would hire the one with the biggest muscles. Right. I did not have the, what I would call street cred of being a high school athlete, of being a college athlete, of having this credential of being athletic. I didn't have that because gotcha. although dancing is extremely athletic, right, and all of us dancers will fight you about that, <laughs> right? I know some people are like, heck yeah. Um, it's not viewed as being athletic, right? And so, you know, this dude or that – you know, it was like football star. He could bench press 200 pounds, right? Like, he doesn't want to hire you. Right. So, you know, I thought like, okay, what is the epitome of being fit? Like a balanced human, right? And also I was um, overweight. So I was like, what do I want to look like? And you, you train to do that, right? How that person trains is how you look like that. And so, but knowing my body, I'm like, I think that's a balanced way of training. You swim, no impact. You bike, you get some good cardiovascular workout, running. After you run, you get to eat like that. <laughs> like that. Right. Running, you just run because that's where the finish line is at that time, right? And so um, I said, well, okay, 
you know, this will force me to learn how to swim because why are you going to jump in a freaking pool in the middle of winter when you don't know how to swim unless you have to? And I said I wanted to do it for years, but I never did. So now that I, it was probably one lonely New Year's Eve night, like, you know what? This is the year. I'm going to learn to swim. The only way I would make myself learn to swim is to sign up for a race where, guess what? Oh. I had to swim. That's awesome. So I signed up for my triathlon, not being able to get to the other side of the pool. <laughs> not being able to run a mile without pain my bike weighed a thousand pounds it was like three hundred dollars from i don't know maybe walmart i don't know and it was like okay but I, my goal was never to do well or win or be an athlete i just needed the credentials of like see i did a triathlon now i could coach you or i can train you to do triathlon so do one year i was i thought this is how naive i was i thought okay i'll sign up for a sprint and then Olympic, and then a half iron. That makes sense, right? So in one year, first year one, <laughs> yeah, rock and roll, right? Because that's that's progression. That looks that looks like sure. that looks like solid progression to me. Like okay, well, this much, and then like midsummer, do the Olympic distance, and then by the end of the summer, yeah, totally like bust out half iron, man. Sure, why not? Yeah, because I bike hundred miles, so biking like fifty, that's fine. And so. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and so, of course, that is a bad idea. No one ever try that ever. Um, but that taps into uh, that's how it started. It taps into grit, determination, and competitiveness. Like you were not going to let. I mean, we kind of say it was about building street cred to be successful at your job, but to bite off all of those new disciplines that you weren't doing very well, and then to that's a really great motivator is to commit to a financial investment of doing a race. Mm -hmm. Biting off a half iron I think is quite gutsy. But you got through it. You got it done. That promotes your business, right? But let's talk about the competitiveness. So you're competing. For, I know you pretty well. So I know you're competing with yourself. And you're competing with the distance that you have to get done. And then you're competing with the scoreboard. So where does that fire come from? Have you ever thought about that? Um, for me, it's, I hold, I know now, right, through years of reflection, that I hold myself back. My brain holds myself back. I, you know, we won't go into how my childhood has fed that, but my, my um, inner monologue is always, you can't. Hmm. Okay. So it is always about like, well, and I found out in a race situation that I do things I would never think I could do. Okay. Ever. Still to this day. And that feeds it. Still to this day, like, you know, why do you sign for race? You can run for free. Because in that race situation, I ha I've, another level comes out, right? I never knew I could do a 30-minute 5K. I never knew I could do a 24-minute 5K, right? And, you know, and I would, in training, and I struggle still in race, I'll look at the time and, and I will slow down and say, you can't hold that. Right. You can't do that. Right. Right? And so, but in a race situation, like, you're not so much, like, in yourself, right? Because you're, like, I just pick somebody in front of me and say, I'm going to catch that person. And then I pick somebody else and say, I'm going to try to catch that person. And, you know, that's what I do. And then I've done it enough now to see, like, the results. Like, what? If you had asked me, Laura, your life depends on answering, do you think you can do this? I would say no every time, right? And so, you know, then it's like, well, oh, my gosh, what else am I capable of, right? Like, 
if I could, now I can run one mile. Well, what if I run two? What if I can run three? Oh, well, I mean, gosh, you've got to freaking do KT tape and ultrasound and, you know, massage and all that to get through 5K. How the heck are you ever going to do a 10K, right? And then, like, the fact of, well, you know, marathoners, that's what runners do. So I'm never going to be able to do that. Because you're not a runner. Right. And right. so then it's like, oh, well, you know, and in in these, so it's always competing against yesterday's me. That's awesome. Right. So like even like this weekend, I have no idea if I can do what I'm setting out to do. No idea. And that's in your head. Yeah. It's all in your head. So, you know, my, you know, I, people are like, well, this is what I'm trying for, but I've never done that time. And I don't think that I could run that pace and sustain and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people will be like, well, yes, you can. I'm like, uh. I mean, but the thing is, I'm going to try. And I never had the courage to try things until I got into this like running racing world, right? Because my initial was, I can't. I never, there's so many things I never even tried because I 100% believed I couldn't. And so with this like running and triathlon thing, like no way I will ever win the triathlon. I've never swam in my life. Right. And then I'm packing up to go home and the race director's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm going home. I get to eat some breakfast. Well, there's an award ceremony. Oh, I know. I should cheer for people, but I got to go. No, no, you won. Three times that happened to me before I started checking results because no, I thought I was all alone because I was last and I was perfectly fine with it. And it's like, what? So I had no idea that I had any of this in me and I have no idea how much more I have, right? And so to me, like this whole running thing, like, yes, I had to fight tooth and nail for every mile, but it changed my life and way of thinking that, you know, well, I also thought I couldn't do that. And look, I did it. And I also would swear on my life I couldn't do that. And then I did it. And so then it's like, okay, well, now maybe like we should not limit ourselves. Right? Well, this is a perfect setup. You're setting me up. I, you're setting it up so that I can set it up so well right now. <laughs> so we're going to pivot that into how and why you started your own business. But to finally create some credibility at what age did you try to start running competitively? Just just give me – or no, what year? Just give me a year. Do not um, – oh, 09? Maybe 09. Yeah, 08, 09. Right, because um, to my surprise, I qualified for triathlon nationals. Uh, in 09? The first year you started for running? For duathlon, right. So duathlon, right. With and that was because of the bike? Because of the bike. The running – still hurt right and, and you push through i mean now i know why and you know all the things i had to do but no wait no hold on just hold i'm, I'm interrupting and that's what i do in this podcast bergman okay as i interrupt no no i'm, I'm not letting you say that oh nine because you qualified and because and you're so competitive you're in your mind that i can't do things you're defining being competitive as qualifying for nationals and, and gfy okay i'm talking about Hey, I'm pulling age group wins in 5Ks. What year was that? Because that's the beginning of competitive. Not for a while because I was not a runner. I like 08? So, or still like... I don't... I honestly don't know. Like I'd never... You just weren't calculating it. Jeez. I'm, 
as for like for running yeah i was always just about surviving i was never about um so then you found sports that your other disciplines would help carry you through and then you started to see age group wins and overall wins right and like oh no nine ish i don't think age group mm, I, don't, I think it was after that that i was actually like not winning either. I would maybe place in a baby race. Gotcha. But I wasn't like winning um, oh my God. running alone you're, you're races so, or placing or just, you, you, you don't know, you just don't even know. Okay, so let's assume it's oh nine. So now it's two thousand and twenty three. This many years later. Give me a brief rundown of your crown jewel race and accomplishments. First big race experience that you killed it on, that you're extremely proud of. Hit me with it right now. Um, the biggest accomplishment I did not kill it at, but was qualifying and going and racing the Boston Marathon because that's what runners did. Boom. Okay. Right. So that was a huge, like, maybe I'm a runner. That was the first moment, I would say, halfway through Boston Marathon 2013 before the bombing. I think I might be a runner. That was the first time. Bam. Okay. Incredible. How many times have you done Boston since then? Uh, four since then. So nice. Five Let's talk about duathlon. What was a crown jewel there? Qualifying for Team USA. Team yeah. USA. That means you compete on a world level. Right. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. Triathlon. What is a crown jewel accomplishment you've had there? Um, probably IT World Championship. What's IT? <laughs> International Triathlon okay. Union. Um, this is another funny story. So I actually, it was 101 degrees. My wave started at noon. Oh my God. Um, the only reason, I think, the only reason I won that race, which I didn't even know, so I missed my whole award ceremony. Because I swear I did terrible. And um, was because I was smart. I did electrolytes. I wasn't the fastest. My bike broke down. I got off my bike. Had to fix my bike. You know how ghetto my bike Jeez, is. Yeah. Got, so that's why I didn't check results. Because I was all mad. Because I'm like, well, surely I didn't. People don't, are passing don't you. Even, yeah. Don't even check results. Who, who needs that? So, but I had my science, right? Because my, my nerdy bit saved me. I had my science and said, it's 101 degrees. I had extra electrolytes. I had extra water. I was in the swim corral. We were in there 30 minutes in our wetsuits in 100 degrees. I was the only one with water. Pouring wow. it on my head. Drinking my water. So smart. Had extra electrolytes. The uh, transition was a half mile run in your wetsuit. So I had a little gel in stuffed in my bra and I was having that like while I was running to transition. So when we got to the run at a hundred at one thirty, hundred one degrees, everyone that was they had to have been way ahead of me because my bike broke down, right? And I wasn't a good swimmer. So I I mean I was alone on the bike, so I swore I was last. And but they were dropping, walking, cramping, just dropping. And I was running very s slow. But I was still running, and I was wow. felt fine. And, you know, I went to transition. This is why you should never have a bad attitude. Packed up my stuff, was in line to get out. My friend goes, hey, can you check results for me? Sure. Well, my name was there next to her name with the number one on it. Awesome. So I won, uh, you know, world championship. <laughs> totally How? didn't even know. <laughs> well, that's just smart racing. That Definitely you should be proud of that. So that's what I'm super proud of because it was like, you know, I may not be – 
the fastest. I have the most ghetto bike, right? You really need a new bike. Yeah. Really ghetto I mean, bike. We're 13, 14 years later. So, you know, that it's just like it gives you hope, right? Like even though I have all these things against me, I'm competing against people that swam their whole life, that ran their whole life, that have $10,000 bikes. But you use science. And so I was like, you know what? So I still have a shot because sometimes being smart wins. Definitely. And that's Absolutely. like life lesson, right? Because, you know, like, again, even now, like I'm not – the best business part person. I'm not the best therapist. Oh I'm not. Jesus. But okay. you know, right. like if you work smarter and you work hard, yes. you can still like accomplish these things. We're gonna get to that. I, I still I'm trying to put a period at the end of the sentence of that establishing credibility. So there's triathlon, there's duathlon, there's running and racing. Just running. You also do swim. Island swimming that's been in the last year or so, Swim right? Run, ultras. Ultra, ultra distance racing, uh, maybe some oh, obstacle courses, right? Mm -hmm. You've done those, correct? Yep. You can't, sorry. You can't, sorry. You, you guys can't see me nodding. Yes. So. Yes. So, Laura, that's it's incredible, right? So, from teaching yourself to figure out physiology, getting your degree, not having being classically trained, you have all the credibility now. And I believe that's why your grit and your determination and fitness is what's allowed you to have a business up and running for how many years now? Um, over five. Right. So boom. Now you decide to go into business for yourself. Let's, let's, let's put four or five minutes into that. How did that inspiration come along? Um, decide, well, again... That whole idea of like, I could never start a business. I never planned to start a business. Never even like wanted to start a business. But there was no place where I could help people in the way that I believe they could be helped. Right? And so the place that I thought um, that had that idea of how people can be held with their musculoskeletal issues, um, was not a good environment and was not, in my opinion, like a scientifically sound place. And one day I was... You know what? I think I know... Forced to yes. uh, to, to open a business, right? And right. So, so there was a, a practitioner regionally that was offering things that you think athletes needed and it wasn't ideal, right? Right. Is that, that's, the, that's the best way to put it without dropping concepts, names, mm -hmm. or business names and stuff like right. that. And your step was to approach helping people with muscular skeletal issues was through using the art of massage. Yes. Perfect. I, I just – guys, I just glazed over name dropping on this. So boom, Bergman. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about getting into massage. So – because 9 a.m. I had a job, 10 a.m. I didn't. By 5 p.m. Fascia Lines was born. Started. Oh. <laughs> I started like, okay, so now I have a dining room. And so I had a table. And so I made my little room in my apartment um, my first like, little business uh, place. And I said, okay, so. Well, hold on. You're glazing over, I think, like a year of training or six or seven months of Massage training. Yeah. Like that. Like legitimate. Okay. You went to a school. People, I was one of her first patients. And like I, I'm a hairy dude. I remember it's so funny because 
she was, I don't know how school goes, but they got to work on people. And I volunteered for free massages because, yo, that's slick, getting free massages. But I was like, I feel like you're pulling my hair. <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah, I guess you need some more lotion or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, Kevin was my first very hairy person. So. <laughs> I'm like, oh, noted. Noted on Um, that. So personally, I got to watch how you went from being a kind of an amateur massage therapist to uh, way more skilled as you were graduating. And then I got to watch how you kind of opened your your business and began to sculpt the kind of massage therapy you do. So A, it's scary opening a business. You don't know if you have enough money. You don't know how you're going to market it. You know, but you killed it. So what do you think were some of the successes that you found early that allowed you to open the business and have it grow? Um, what's different about my approach is I, I look at the what address the underlying causes, right? So pain is a symptom and that's normally not where the issue is. So when you think fascially, which Fascia is the matrix that um, is in and around and a part of everything. So it binds every system to every other system, right? So when you think of the body as a whole piece where one thing, if something happens to one piece, it's going to affect the other piece. Um, then- is, it fair to, is it fair to envision rubber bands or bungee cords? Is that sort of like when one thing's tightened and another thing loosens and... Right, kind of like stirrups, right? So you're constantly, you know, what I do is try to balance the stirrups, right? So, you know, if your shoulder is forward, the back of your shoulder is going to hurt. Your neck is going to hurt. But the issue is that your shoulder is forward, right? So the tightness from the front is pulling, causing the back to be pulled. And so the the tissue that's being yanked on is the one that's going to be crying, right? Ah, stop pulling me. The one that's tight and cozy is like, ah. Great. You don't hear, hear about that. And so it, a lot of times, you know, we go, practitioners go to the site of pain. Oh, your upper trap hurts. Let me put my elbow in there. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, the upper trap in your neck cannot relax if the tightness in your, is pulling, of the front is pulling your shoulder. Right. And so working on the underlying causes to... That's I knew we were gonna get so technical, and even I'm trying. I'm I, know, trying. I, know, I know. So like we try to need, not even a one hundred one, like a ninety. So let me paint a picture for the listener. If I do bench press five times a week and a bunch of push ups, and I I want a bigger chest, and and you know my I, I'm seeing results because I'm eating my protein and my shoulders are really rolled forward. But I'm like, man, my why is my shoulder hurting, or why is my back hurting? Why does my neck hurt? That's kind of an example, right? Someone who does too much because then coupled with holding a steering wheel, typing on a computer, that wear and tear over years of improper movement. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I got to paint this picture, right? right. Bergman. So you, I would come to you with, if I do bench press too much and I'm just trying to build the sexy muscles only, mm-hmm. what's the pain I'm going to feel? Uh, you'll probably feel pain like in your upper back, neck area. Okay. Um, when you go to lift your arm overhead, you'll probably feel like a pinching at impingement, the top of yeah. your mm-hmm. shoulder, some impingement. Um, you might also start feeling like elbow pain. Oh, I got tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. Um, because that joint, because of the imbalances, right, doing a lot of the front without strengthening the back, 
is called now your joint is not tracking properly and every joint attached to that joint is not tracking properly and so then it becomes this issue and then that issue and then another issue and it goes through your whole body what we like to call the kinetic chain because everything is attached to everything so if you only work on one part then the other parts that are still tight are going to gradually pull that part back into the position that was causing the pain. All right, then for the sake of example, let's assume that's what I've been doing. And my shoulders are rolled forward. My chest is super tight from all the lifting that I've done. I do have pain in my elbow and maybe in my shoulder and I can't get my arm over the head the way I want to. How would you approach it with fascia lines? So at fascia lines, um, first I would look at how you're moving your body as a whole, right? So there's no shoes. Um, I look at tired, how, how you sit down to take off your shoes. I look at how you get up, right? When you don't know that I'm watching you, I talk to you about your day and what brings you in and look at how you're shifting, how you're standing, how you're holding your shoulder. How are you holding your head? I'm looking at all this while you're telling me about your puppy dog and you know, whatnot. Um, because these are the things that you're doing repetitively a million times a day, every day for X amount of years, right? So that is a piece of the puzzle. Um, I'll ask what, you know, what your job is, what you're doing, because again, that is a piece of the puzzle. If you are sitting a lot or you're driving a lot, if your pelvis, your hips are tipped forward, meaning in a sitting position and they're stuck like that, even if I fix your shoulders and um, by fix them, I mean uh, get the shoulder blade back on the back of your rib cage instead of around the front, um, your shoulders have to come forward to balance out the position of your pelvis right? And your head will come forward to balance out the position of your pelvis. So even though your shoulders where you're feeling the most symptoms, I have to address what your shoulders sit on top of. Otherwise, eventually it will come right back. So what's different is, you know, you coming in with shoulder pain, but I'm going to address your body as a whole because even when you're benching, you're using your whole body and that position of your pelvis is affecting the position of your lats, which attach to your arm, which you're using for your bench press, right? It's going to affect how you're going to use your back instead of the muscles you're supposed to be using to get that weight up. So you cannot say, in my opinion, that if you come in with a shoulder, I can only work on your shoulder because that is not the whole story. Right. I know this, people, because... I've been going to Bergen, Bergman for more than five years, and mm, it's really frustrating when all you want are results. It's really frustrating to scale back to lighter weight, proper form, engaging your core correctly, having, I mean, I'm, for the rest of my life, my pelvic floor will never be in the right place because... <laughs> Because life happens and when you're almost 50, it's hard to make the priorities of having the proper alignment. It's so hard because driving might be three hours a day. Sitting might be two hours a day. Walking the dog in improper shoes, Nike Airs or something like that where you, with a big heel over and over and over again will will mess with you. And then it's it's decades of wrong movement but here you are expecting yourself to run a half marathon, forget running it fast, but just trying to survive it. 
with the absolute wrong body mechanics and having a coach or a massage therapist like Bergman is what is a cheat code compared to normal people. It really is. It's she's able to look at you when you're just standing and she can say, Oh, one hips higher than the other. You don't even know it, but you, but Bergman can see it or my shoulders are rolled forward or my, my neck is tired and my chin is out. What is, what is that? I didn't even know I had the wrong engagement in my neck, which is probably my shoulder blades. And what's great about going to fascia lines is that it takes multiple sessions, of course, but she's has a knack for identifying the improper movements. And then what's really great is over the years, she's become very efficient at correcting them quickly. But let's tie this into how regular life will screw up even what you're correcting. Right. So, you know, we do the, the, the tissue work and I release what is tight and I give you exercises to strengthen what is weak. You have to do them. Right. You have to do them. So that's part of it. But, you know, daily life is, you know, full of imbalances. You're always opening the door with your right hand. You're always driving with your right leg. You're, you know, you're going to get your coffee cup with your shoulder hiked up, right? So, you know, we have to look at how you're doing all the th those things. I had a lady that had years of hip pain and went to doctors and films were fine and nobody could figure out what was wrong with her hip. Well, every weekend she was a um, valet. So she parked cars. So what was she doing with her left hip? Swinging it out of a car. How many times a night, right? Multiple times a night. So, okay, well, we change how you're doing that to utilize muscle groups that are designed to handle, you know, such work and, you know, check out, well, okay, if you do it this way, then that muscle isn't going to hurt. And then she doesn't have hip pain, right? So it's not just a matter of, you know, working the hardware, which is the body, right? The, t the, the tissue and the exercises. It's about reprogramming the software so that, you know, bringing awareness to how are you moving in life. So when you come to me and things are tight, 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 your body learns to move with that tightness and it compensates. And it doesn't tell you that it hurts until it does. And by then you've already done the damage, right? And so- like Chronically almost. Like you've right. done the chronically, the software has been chronically misprogrammed and you are now experiencing pain because your expectations of your movement are higher than your body will allow without pain. Right, so you have to reprogram how you get up and down out of a chair. Yep. You cannot do it with your knees collapsing in and using your arms and alley-ooping your way up, right? You gotta, okay, that might mean now you have to think about what are your feet doing when you go to get up out of a chair? Because if your big toes flying up, you're gonna use your back. You use your back for 40 years and now your back's like, I'm done. And so now we have to say, oh, now we gotta use our abs and glutes to get out of a chair, right? But you're the code for getting up out of a chair in your brain is X, Y, Z, right? Knees in, use your back, etc. So we have to recode and reprogram when you say stand up, what does that look like? When you say get the coffee cup, right? We have to reprogram who is the prime mover in that situation because what compensation is, is one guy, mm. one muscle is like, I'm not doing the work and the other muscle has to be like, fine, I'll do your job. And then one day it's like, I'm sick of doing your job. Meanwhile, the other muscle's on vacay. So you have to be like, hey buddy, you're, you have to work. 
And then you have to be like, oh, but you have to stop doing his job in order for him to work. Then he's got to get strong enough to work. But now you're not torquing your joints anymore. Right. And what's interesting to me is that the human nature is to accomplish the next task, the next task, the next task. So, oh, I, re- I started running and I got to run some 5Ks and now I kind of want to run a, fi- a faster 5K. But my buddy says, hey, come run this 10K. I'm like, oh, it's only two 5Ks. I can definitely go do that. And then you're just one blink away from somebody signing you up for a half marathon. <laughs> and then, Funny how that happens. And if you do a half marathon because humans just want to consume the next awesome level of accomplishment, like, well, somebody says, well, when are you going to do your marathon? If you, I mean, you can do a half marathon. You can, you can do a marathon, but you're not calculating 25 or 30 years of poor software programming that you are doing the movements wrong. And yes, you can run a half marathon and you can run a marathon and you can probably get pretty good times, but you're doing it most likely with significant pain. You're in it. It takes in my opinion, it takes a long time to have the proper muscular movement software, as you put it, or no, the hardware, Jeez, I don't even know. All I know is to do correctly a half marathon, it takes a lot of very good muscle movement to sustain the time it takes to do a half marathon. And I'm going to give another example. So I work with Bergman on and off all year long, and it's truly a cheating code for me because I don't have time to train that hard. So I make sure my muscles are operating the way they can. I make sure my hydration and nutrients are on point whenever I have a big event coming up. And I have had many, many, many big events that I know Bergman in her head is like, he is not ready for this event, but (laughs) I know he's going to do it. And then I make it her problem to get me ready for it and her problem to rehab me after it because I'm usually a disaster zone. But one of the most recent things I've started working on is she identified my shoulders rolled forward and that my chin is sticking out and my back of my skull is dipping down and it's a really weird thing. But after working with her for so long, I know I'm committing about 12 to 18 months of just getting my scapula trained to be in the right place (laughs) and my shoulders back in the right place and my head, you know, long and tall the way it's supposed to be. And after about nine to 10 months, I start getting compliments or comments from people about, wow, you've got really good posture. You're, it's almost like you're taller or why do you look so proud? Why do you look so aggressive (laughs) all the time? I'm like, pretty sure this is how I'm supposed to look because I, I'm walking around, but I consciously a hundred times, not even exaggerating a hundred times a day. I do a postural adjustment to train my scapula and shoulders to be in the right position. I did the same thing when it came to engaging my glutes when I was hiking or running. It is a lifelong journey to live as pain-free as possible, and you can't let off of the the gas, right? Right. I mean, you said 12, 18 months. Okay, so someone might be like, well, that's a long time. But he did 48 years of the of the other, right? So, you know, okay, we'll say maybe when he was cool and he was a kid. But we've been sitting at desks since we were a kid, right? So, you know, if you have 40 plus years of your head being forward and your shoulders slouching, right? Because you didn't listen to your grandma when she said stand up straight, right. right? So now 12 months, is that really a lot of time? Not really, right? And so, and then, you know, you look at, okay, well, 
we're at 40 years from now. Do I want to still be able to do the things I want to do? Carry my groceries in in one trip, right? Like be tall and, you know, not be like hunched over looking at the floor. Okay, well, so then you do these 12, 18 months now when you're 40 something. And so then when you're 70 something, you're still tall and upright, right? So it's kind of like, okay, this little investment of being aware of how you're moving pays off long-term because you're preventing a plethora of issues, right? If your head stayed forward, how do you think your the discs in your neck are going to feel about that? Yeah, it's going to be bad. Be right. So it's like super annoying to like sit up straight and get your shoulders back, you know, for a good 12, whatever, 18 months. But, you know, that is so worth it if, you know, when you're 75, you're not like having cervical issues, your yeah. neck issues. Being aware of it, almost you begin to nag yourself. And I hear Bergman's voice in my head like, Anytime I'm getting tired or I'm driving and I'm slouching, I'm like, oh my God, Bergman would shoulder back and down, down the back, lock and load, get your head, get your chin up, you know, and I, I roll like that. I hear Bergman in my head 10 times a day. Like, why are your knees collapsing in? What's up <laughs> with your arches? Are you, you have weak arches? Are your ankles? Is it? Are you oh, engaging your big toe? Um, oh yeah, I have a big toe issue. Totally have a big toe issue. But if I... And I'm doing this hand gesture where if I engage my glutes and they both engage up, oh, my hips kind of adjust, then my knees adjust, then my ankle's right, then my arches are right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you really got it going on. You, like your understanding of helping people adjust their posture is step one before you can perform. Before you can perform. Right. If you can't sustain neutral while you're standing there talking to me, how are you going to move neutrally? Right. And anytime you're moving in an alignment the body was not designed to move in, then there's going to be consequences. Then the muscles designed to do the work to produce the power can't be utilized fully and the joints are being torqued. Right. So. Exactly. Number and one is can you stand aligned for more than five seconds without shifting into your hip? Totally. Right. So. That's one of the reasons why I've backed off all the ultra races, all the crazy Ragnars. I only am trying to train for 5Ks because I think I could go beyond a 5K now, but I've put a lot of time and effort into making sure posturally my core, which really in my mind is from my knees to the top of my head, I feel like it's all mega connected. And once I understand how it's connected even farther down, the core muscles are actually everything. It's all juiced together. And if my shoulders are back and my head is head and neck are right, and I have enough core stability to maintain the proper upper body, the core endurance to maintain the right upper body posture that my legs can carry me for as long as a 5K is, success. Then I can focus on having a fast 5K. And then if I have the ability to engage those muscles on a longer endurance timeline, I can then explore 10K. But the smartest approach, and it takes literally being almost 50 to figure this out, <laughs> that you just can't consume those longer distances with pain-free on a regular basis if you don't, if do, you the don't do the work. Crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I love it. So thank you, Bergman. A, for being my, my my racing spirit animal because <laughs> I like to race you and I can keep up with you for about the first 10% of a race 
but I'm always like reaching into you from a distance and I'm using your energy to pull me and make me faster when we get to race together. But thank you for helping me learn to move in a pain-free way most of the time. And when I do have a problem, I definitely call fascia lines. I'm like, let's get this squared up. I got to figure it out. Where's my, what are the exercises I need? What is the discipline I need to live as fluidly as possible to perform? So, right. so thank you. No problem, Brackens. I mean, my goal is to empower people with the knowledge of how to maintain themselves, right? So my goal is that, you know, you, I can help you get to a point, but then teach you how to maintain it, how you can stay there, how you can not have to come see me, right? Like imagine that, like my goal is for you to not have to, you know, come back with an injury because I'm going to show you do these things and you can move pain-free. And the thing is, as I I know it, it, when it hurts to move, you don't want to move. Yeah. When it hurts to run, you hate running. Yeah. Right? And so my goal is to help people find the joy in movement again. Let's back it up a few steps. How about just walking up steps? When it hurts to walk up steps, you don't want to have to walk up steps. My dad, he hates getting in and out of cars. You know, he's older and it's 70 years of just not the right movement. Or not necessarily taking care of yourself. But if you're 50 and you're overweight and you're having a hard time moving, you got to get it under control because it's the only – it's so cliche. It's the only body you get. You got to keep it moving right. Movement is medicine. I mean that – when I was thinking of like what do – what can I do with my life to make the biggest difference, the biggest difference? Now, this is me with no resources, right? I have no one, no resources, no money. How can I make a difference in the world? The thing is movement because once somebody doesn't move, every system spirals down, right? There's a de system-wide decline, mental health, you know, your productivity. If it hurts to move, you just move less. And when you have to move less, you do less, right? Your dad probably doesn't go out and do things because he doesn't want to get in and out of a car. Right. So your entire, you know, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, it all starts to go downhill. I mean, if you've ever been in chronic pain, you know, it is very difficult to be a happy person it is very difficult to enjoy life at all because mo when moving hurts it's not fun right and so if i was to make the biggest difference in the world if i can keep people moving now they have to make the choice to move but if i you know if i can be that person that gets them to be able to keep moving then all aspects of their life can continue, right? So their, better. their work life, their home life, you know, if you're, if you do not want to get in and out of a car and go places and your spouse does, that's an issue, yeah, right? And it's all because it hurts to do that movement, right? So how many aspects of his life or anyone's life would that touch being able to get in and out of the car? Well, we all know people that struggle walking, right. you know, it's, it's, it's decades of doing it wrong. We know people who struggle with steps we know people and they're not necessarily old people there are mm -hmm. people in the whatever ages but my point is, is you you see people who have to walk with a cane possibly need a cane it's also possible they just have the wrong movement happening so this this ties me up to one of the last topics i want to talk about is who who are the next kind of clients that you're you're trying to work with you know i know i know you're studying to get your phd correct yes right 
Talk about some of the groundbreaking stuff that you're helping research or just guide me down that path. You know where I'm going with this. Um, so right now, you know, working with, I work with all kinds of people, four-year-olds to 84-year-olds, right? And we're, we're working on, you know, either doing just movement to get through life or to, I have some professional athletes, right? But in the, a very neglected population is, um, you know, post-surgical. Okay. So after you get through your initial, like, post-surgical um, eight sessions of PT, the scarring that happens, you know, uh, accumulates and causes this gradual tightness throughout your whole body. Because remember, we talked about your whole body being connected. Um, and it, it can lay, it can lay, uh, this tightening can occur up to seven years after surgery. So you're gradually um, losing mobility and losing function. So right now I'm focusing on, um, Female surgeries, because they're all, they're very neglected, like uh, post-mastectomies, right? So you have breast cancer surgery, and you go through your initial post-surgical, you can, you know, wave hello, move your arm. Um, but the issues that develop after one to seven years is what's documented so far, um, are debilitating. So if you're Scar tissue means everything is glued together. So now your shoulder girdle cannot move, right? So your shoulder blade can't slide and glide up and down your rib cage. Your hold rib on, cage on. can't move. Hold on. So what this is what I'm envisioning. So if I have scar tissue all across my chest, right? Um, PT might get me to a place where I can kind of move my arm kind of around and, and then that runs out. Right. But if I want to be a swimmer, right, the are the movement of the arm and shoulder going up and around and then pulling water back would be very difficult because that scar tissue would feel so tight it almost wants to tear. Is that what you're saying? Kevin, you wouldn't be able to brush your hair. That's how tight okay. it is. Okay, boom. Right, so what you're able to do is dot, dot, dot. Tell me. Right, so <clears throat> we can rehydrate. We're not breaking scar tissue, people. That is okay. not, that is old science, not the right term. So... We can rehydrate that tissue that is glued down so that there is lubrication so that the joint can move again, right? So after mastectomy, your uh, chest muscle is glued. Your rib cage doesn't move, right? It's, so, not, it's not officially glued. It's just... No, it's pretty glued, right? So without getting... Do you mean, do you mean glued like... They don't... Pardon me. I don't know stuff. That's why we're breaking it down for brackets. There's not actually glue. You're saying it's stuck. Right. So the fluid Adhesions. that is um, okay. supposed to be in between the layers of tissue mm -hmm. is not there. It's um, like speckle. So instead of silk, it's speckle. Okay. Right. And so where there's speckle, there's no movement. So the scar tissue is the body says trauma and lays down spackle, like not like sanding the edges and fitting the hole. I mean, it just slaps down spackle every which way, right? Like remember the old game of pick up sticks and you just drop all the sticks, right? right. So imagine if that was all glue, like sticky, right? They'd be stuck. Um, so with gentle, doesn't even hurt guys, gentle uh, tissue work with movement, we can rehydrate that area. So um, it's like that old crusty sponge that's under your sink that you forgot about, yep. right? If you take that sponge out, you can't really move it. It's like crusty and stuck. Even if you put it in water and try to move it, mm, 
Not really. You have to put it in the water and then manipulate it, move it slowly, squish it, etc. And it gets some life. So then you take it out and you can move it and you can use it. It's not as great as a brand new squishy sponge right from the store, right? But it can uh, get soak up water, right? It can be rehydrated. It can be malleable. It just takes a little bit of like time and work. So scar tissues like the old crusty sponge under your sink that you forgot about. And then that's compared to unscarred fresh child tissue that's very like spongy has never been, you know, repetitively used, etc. Right. So so that's not being done at all okay. right now. So that's kind of the the groundbreaking part of we haven't they haven't studied fascia very long. Therefore, the damage to it and how to mitigate that has not been studied because they're just now studying what the heck it is. So there is no um, option, care, protocol, et cetera, for this situation. So that's what I'm doing my dissertation on because it needs to be part of post-surgical protocol. I have women coming in that have not been able to lift their arm in five years. And their doctors say, I'm sorry, that's that's how it is. And they leave my clinic moving their arm. Say that again. <laughs> so, you know. No, like drive that home. So nothing is doctors, but they're, they're, go they're on their own path, right? Well, and they just don't know. It, like it's not in textbooks yet. Right, okay. It's not taught. I wasn't taught it in any of my schooling, right? And so it's not that they are not telling you they don't honestly don't know is that new right so we're at this beginning of this whole scientific revolution i'm not even being dramatic because it's this whole sensory system that has been left out of all of our treatment plans and protocols and and all of that so we've got to now that we know that this is an essential system it's not a part it's a system of the body now we have to look at well what the heck happens when we damage it and we cut it Right, and so this this global tightening that occurs, and it's long term, it's gradual, which is why it's not being addressed, right? Because no one says my shoulder hurts. That's probably from my surgery five years ago. Because no one understands that fascia is a whole piece that's affecting everything, right? And so that whole because fascia hasn't been studied, what it is and and how it affects everything, the damage to it is not addressed yet. So this is, and to me, that's one of the most traumatic right surgeries that's happening and the 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 issue is that it it's a um a lot of young people right so we're having 40 year olds that are very much all about being active still having mastectomies right and so they're not they're like hey i want to still be able to use my arms right so and there's there's nothing for them you know the research says you know post mastectomy pain syndrome can occur up to seven years something should be done about it and that's where it ends right Right. And so, you know, it's kind of um, I have to do the Ph.D. And, and do the study so that it can be accepted as protocol because it's not fair that only people that can find me can get this help. And right. this, this affects all surgery, C-sections, knee surgery. You know, we just we don't it hasn't been known how the global tightening affects your entire body of that one little scar. Therefore, it has the issues have not been addressed. I think that's really awesome. I really, I'm really impressed by that. I think I, I think that is such a great path. Um, I've seen when I go into Laura's practice, 
because again, I make my body movement Laura's problem. I'm like, Laura, I am running a 50K in about two months and I don't have time to train it. So I pay Laura to get my body as optimal. Optimal. And I want I want to use the word fluid. Like everything's flowing perfectly. Like she's she'll make it so my body can literally survive a 50k. I'm not kidding people with zero training. Very irresponsible. Not recommended. Yeah, very irresponsible, but I would not have been able to finish it without her prehab. And then I go to her for rehab mm -hmm. to fix all my terrible muscles after an untrained 50k. Additionally, I see all kinds of different characters that come and go in your practice and I'm amazed that it can be a high school volleyball player and it can be somebody in their 80s maybe who is, is doing whatever. I've had her work on my neck because things just don't feel right and she increases the mobility in my neck so that when I look left or right, it's not even a joke I can see behind me. My range of motion and my range of eyesight increase because my neck can now rotate the way it's freaking supposed to. It's so annoying that our, our lives bust up our body that much. But what's great is that Bergman is, Laura Bergman with fascia lines is fixing people. And it, it's really wonderful. It's, I hope you're able to digest the amount of people you're helping. Um, well, I mean, I appreciate you saying you know, all of your nice things. I, to me, it just makes sense, right? Like if your neck can move, then when you turn to look out the door, you're you're not using your back. So now you're not going to have a back injury. It's, it's, so it sounds cool. so simple. <laughs> sounds so simple. So if, if somebody, I mean, listen, people, she's very booked up and she's very popular. And I know she has help now and I'm sure she's looking for more help. If you're really into fascia, you should get a hold of laura and send her an email or a phone call and say hey, i'm really into fascia i want to learn more okay i guarantee she's probably hiring and then i know she probably would too, be too scared to say that she is but i bet she is i know business <laughs> um but additionally if if you need to get assessed if you want to take a look at are you moving in a healthy way she's the one to see flat out bergman how do they get a hold of you um you can email me at laura at fascia-lines.com. Um, we'll print that somewhere for you. Mm -hmm. uh, my website is fascia-lines.com. Um, so uh, any of those ways, you can go on and schedule your own appointment and eval if you want to. You know, you're at home at 11 o'clock at night and you can go on and look at your schedule and do that yourself. Or you can email me and I can, uh, I can help you out. Um, you know, it's, I feel bad a lot of times because there is a weight. However, if you think of the years of prevention <laughs> that you're going to get by, you know, addressing things now, and I have people now that come in and say, I don't want to hurt when I'm 80. So can you look at how I'm moving now? You're right. Like let's avoid knee replacements. Let's avoid rotator cuff tears. Um, and you know, why I created fascia lines, number one is you have to be hurt before you go to a sports medicine clinic. Right. And I was like, hey, I could prevent half of this stuff. Like I want a place where people can come and say, you know, it just like doesn't like you, your, your neck doesn't feel right. It doesn't necessarily hurt. You don't have an injury, but you don't want it to get to that point. So 
Like, why can we not, like, address it while it's, like, a thing, right? We use words like a thing or it clicks or it, it feels yeah. weird, right? Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, when you address – when you – Listen to your body whisper. You don't have to hear your joint scream. <laughs> That's great. Right? So if we can if we can redefine, um, we do it for our car. We don't wait till our engine blows up to change our oil. That's right. We don't wait till our tires blow up to change our tires. We're like, ooh, look at all the wear and tear. Probably should do something about that. So like, let's change the conversation of I have to be hurt before I seek help. I love it. I love it. Did we miss anything? Um, we probably missed a bunch, but <laughs> it, it, it's so good. People, I really hope you get a chance to get into her practice. It's genuinely, um, it's genuinely a marvel to to move without pain. When I'm disciplined, I can live my whole life without pain because I follow the guidance that Laura Bergman's given me, and I definitely run with no pain, genuinely. And but it's because I've strengthen my feet. I've strengthened my toes. I, I engage my glutes. I'm pretty sure my running form is correct. Laura's like probably saying brackens, come on. But in my mind, <laughs> so if, much yeah, better. Yeah. But in my mind, if I'm running pain free, to me, that's good form. And um, maybe not the best per performance, but up and down Pain-free steps. Pain-free is always a win. Right. Up and down steps. I was at a place just a few minutes ago where I had to run up and down these steps a few times to get paperwork. And I'm like, I'm a savage. I just went up and down these steps like five times. I They weren't even there to me. And it feels good to move healthy. So that's all the edification I can really give Bergman. Uh, it's fascia.lines.com. Fascia dash. Fascia dash. <laughs> anyway, we'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes. Bergman, thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Awesome. Today's conversation was brought to you by Bracken's Painting. You can find information about Bracken's Painting at www.brackenspainting.com for all of your residential and commercial painting needs. Give Bracken's a call.